discuss the unidentified, the unexplainable, paranormal, conspiracies, and much more. Starring your host and co-hosts, Eddie Nicasio, Sean Kelly, Trish Lowe, and Jason Spencer and Ryan Petro. Brought to you by UPRN Network. Now for your host, Jenny Nicasio. Good evening and welcome to Chasing Prophecy on the UPRN Radio Network, FM 105.3 in New Orleans, where we discuss anything and everything beyond the scope of normal. Remember to like us on YouTube and Facebook and make sure you email us Chasing Prophecy Radio at gmail.com. I got to get that right, shit, Trish. But <laughs> I'm Jenny Nicasio along with my co host, John Kelly. Jason I and Petro is not with us tonight. And Trish Mo, how you doing, guys? I'm doing great. I wanted to tell you girls something. Hmm. I'm a thorn in between two roses. How do you like that? <laughs> how do you like that guy? That's nice. That's nice. I like it. That's, That's- like. I know. Hey, hey, you got your green screen to work. Yes, yeah, he did. Yeah. I know. He did. Mine's looking like it's off. Here we go. We move it. Well, I'm channeling my Beth on Yellowstone. I know you guys know all about Yellowstone. <laughs> just only from you. Only from me. <laughs> only from find you. Out that's stupid. I don't know why that's doing that. I got to move over. Is that... You see that? Yeah, it's like it a is. demon see, in here. Is yours think... doing that too? I mean, I mean, I don't have one, but when I put it up, it does that. I don't know why it's doing it. I'm going to have to. Oh, my God. Listen to this. Are you guys ready for tonight? Yes, 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 yes. Yes, I'm yes, a, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, we got a uh, come by, upcoming investigation I'd like to talk about real quick. Um, sure. Uh, we were um, we were going to the Buxton Inn down in Glanville, Ohio. And mm-hmm. uh I am really, really looking forward to it. Um, they gave us three rooms, and um, we're going to be helping a lot of people down there. Whoever's going to come on, we're going to give investigations to people, their clients or whatever, whoever's staying there for a couple hours, and uh, it's going to be fun. And then after that, then we get the run of the whole place. So. When is that? Uh, when is that? This coming? This Saturday. This Saturday. Yes. Yeah, we're just a little bit worried about the snow. Even the snow, like yeah. From here, it's supposed to snow pretty bad on Friday. From that's what I hear, but I hope not. You should go live on Facebook at some that's point. That's what I told him to so do. We can see you. Oh yeah, we'll get you there. We'll get you there. <laughs> we did that a lot in the past. We did a lot of Facebook. Um, there were some really good ones at the Blair House, huh? Yes, there were. Just, Very good. What I like about that going down there this time is that we're only bringing four people to make life a little bit easier because who's all going me jason russ and uh val um no augie no no that's in february and march see we're going to be down there in february and in march so the four of us we're going down to see how this is going to work out and oh, so work out good yeah i'm hoping it works I, out for you and we'll do a Facebook Live. We'll tell you all. Yeah. Well, we have a really cool show for you guys tonight. Tonight, we are going to dive into one of our favorite topics, Bigfoot. The Appalachians are an ancient and mysterious mountain range whose peaks are at one time reveled by the Himalayans. The mysteries of these mountains have been cataloged by Native Americans, 
settlers alike. One of these mysteries is Bigfoot in the Appalachians. And our special guest tonight, he has built a, a wild research tracking the stone of man in West Virginia's Bigfoot, Dr. Russell Jones. He's also a certified master in naturalist, lifelong outdoorsman, and a longtime football researcher. Football. Bigfoot researcher. That too, huh? He's put together one of the most complete examinations of these creatures and the Appalachians with the Appalachian Bigfoot. Now, I had a chance to go over the book. I think it was really well done and I'm really impressed. And from his own field research and hours, you can tell he's put into it with interviews of some of the top and most active beast. Bigfoot researchers across the Appalachians. Dr. Jones used a scientific approach to help shed greater light on the mystery of the Appalachian Bigfoot and give insight into the existence of these exclusive creatures. Little like, uh, what would you call them? Um, sort of like me. They don't go out very much. Recluse. Russ, <laughs> welcome to Chasing Prophecy. Let me get you on, Bib. Welcome hey to guys. Chasing Prophecy. Hey, Russ. How are you? I'm doing good. I, I hope I'm just getting over COVID. So uh, forgive my voice if it's a, a little uh, off tonight. No, don't worry about that. We've all been there, done that. <laughs> so. Yeah, tomorrow will be my first day back with patients. Wow. Okay. How, how did you uh, feel? Um, I'm one of those uh, 50 vitamin a day people that Me. works out like mad. Holy that thought shit. that it would be really easy and it was uh, more challenging than I expected. What was your uh, regiment? Um, you know, I, I do this whole thing with the zinc and the quercetin Mm -hmm. and whole food vitamins. I take literally, I do take around 50 vitamins a day. Yeah. sounds like me. What kind of doctor are you? Chiropractor? Chiropractor. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah. And my specialty in practice is anti-aging. Oh, that's what I mean. A lot of my patients are just strictly work out, eat right, you know, that type of thing. That That definitely. Yeah, I the, the, well, we got to exactly start so. somewhere. So you would come in and you'd say, I have headaches or I have back pain or neck pain. And I'd say, I'm going to fix it. And then we're going to talk about your diet and we're going to mm-hmm. make some changes. And we're going to make you a little healthier. Mm-hmm. Good. Exactly. That's and then we go from there. Yeah. So let me let me ask you, um, your chiropractor, how in the world did you get involved with the uh, paranormal and Bigfoot? Because like, scary people have same, back problems. I put them in the same <laughs> category um, because a lot of people, yeah, really, seriously. Um, Bigfoot is it like a paranormal entity, um, what, what we think it is. So, um, so how did you, how did you get involved in this? You know, um, I grew up in Southeast Ohio. I still have a farm in Ohio. Mm-hmm. that I spend a lot of time at. And of course I live in, you know, around outside Charleston in West Virginia, but uh, my family was a hunting family. Um, we had coon dogs, rabbit dogs. We hunted ginseng. We all trapped. Um, and when I was a teenager, when New Year's day, we had New Year's Eve, we got about four inches of snow. New Year's day was a beautiful sunny day. And I'd taken a gentleman that was in the army um, rabbit hunting and we came along a hillside and like i said it was a beautiful sunny day but it was really cold and when i came along the hillside there was a cave up above that you know you you could be close to it and you wouldn't even know that there was anything there but i found to me because i'd never heard of bigfoot barefoot Mm -hmm. human footprints and 
whatever was in that cave had stayed there to weather that storm, I believed, and then heard me coming with the dogs and left. And, um, and I know that that gentleman and I looked at the tracks for a long time and I thought that it was, you know, some type of vagrant way back in the, you know, the wilderness areas. I mean, this County, you know, Ohio, Venton County only has one stoplight still. And, um, so I went up to see if there was like a fire or if there was some type of, um, you know, clothes in there or something. There was nothing like that. And then, uh, later that year, I was fishing in a remote beaver dam that no one knew existed except for just my family. And it's maybe a mile and a half back um, through the woods. There's no path to get there or anything. And um, I was there with my uncle. We were both carrying pistols because it was a very snaky place. And I uh, was standing on the beaver dam about 40 yards from the brush on the other side. And I heard something kind of moving through the brush and, I glanced at my uncle. I saw him. We weren't talking. We were just quietly standing there. You know, he's about maybe 50 feet from me. And I saw he was looking too. I just assumed it was going to be a deer. And then the brush started shaking and there was a screaming, very monkey-like that went on for about 20 seconds of shaking the brush and stuff. And then all total, it lasted for about a minute. And um, it's funny because as soon as it stopped, um, we just kept fishing, you know, we weren't afraid of anything in the woods. We were raised in the woods. We were in the woods all night by ourselves mm-hmm. with our dogs. I'd been back there literally dozens and dozens of times running turtle hooks and all these other different types of things and just never had an experience. But then not long after that, Leonard Nimoy had a show called in search of in the seventies. Yeah, I remember that. I remember I that. Yeah. that episode in search of Bigfoot and I was suspicious. And since then it literally, has been one of the very biggest things in my life. And I've been totally consumed with it. Yeah. I could see why had written about, I'd read every book that had been written on the subject and followed it all the way through my undergraduate and my doctor school. And then my years in practice, I still followed it. And then I went up to a conference. Of course I knew nobody, uh, but Jeff Meldrum, the anthropologist was speaking, which is interested in Bigfoot. And so I went to listen to him speak. And not long after that, I met uh, Matt Moneymaker from the TV show Finding Bigfoot. And Matt and I hit it off, and I started doing everything for that group in Ohio and West Virginia. Wow. That's amazing. That was, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago now. So you you actually think you saw him? Yeah. No, I I didn't see Bigfoot. Over the course of the years now, I've had... A lot of times that I believe that I've had experiences last year, I think that I had the sighting for the first time and how I go about it is I keep a calendar of all the sightings that either my witnesses, you know, and I'm at about a thousand people now mm-hmm. or the uh, reports that come in from that business or just other people that will give me. And then I have around 40 game cameras. Mm-hmm. They used to be all the way from the ski resorts in West Virginia over into Southeast Ohio. And now I've concentrated them in a certain areas. So I'm watching the game closer. And so um, we believe that, or I believe I should say that the animals can hear the cameras. There's some studies out that show they're about 30 decibels. Mm-hmm. And so even when you're using professional cameras like I am, you know, they're $500. 
Um, there are blackout cameras so they can't be seen at night, mm -hmm. but the animals are still looking at my cameras. Um, so what I've, I want a picture of Bigfoot, of course, I keep trying to fool them, but what I pay attention to and not now is what, how the game is affected in the area by different things. So let's say you have a deer, 25 deer show up every single day and you have a camera out for a year. So every day you watch the same deer, but then all of a sudden the second week of October, you have no animals show up on your camera at all for 10 days. So then you're suspicious that there's something that's having an effect on the game in that area. You put it on your calendar and then that may be. Uh -oh. Did we lose them? Shoot. Shoot. Damn. Shoot, shoot, shoot. That's was interesting. So what he was Animals detect. Lost you there for me. On cameras. Go ahead, Trish. What were you going to say? Oh, I, I was just saying animals. Um, oh, I, I mean, any animals, but most a lot of, um, you know, bats and I know like dolphins and whales and everything like that. But any animal can detect. They, they sense the frequency of the camera. So they automatically they're drawn to that because it has a different energy signature than the rest of the forest, if that makes sense. Yes, like so if I'm in a forest, I'm the same way. If some if someone, you know, my dad had cameras on his land one time and didn't tell me where he put them, but I automatically um went right to, you know, sensed mm -hmm. them there because it was a different signature, I guess, if that makes sense. So there's things that you can do. Like, for instance, you can build Faraday cages where you yeah. actually wire yeah. the things and you're getting rid of that. There's sheets of material that absorb electricity that some of us are using. Um, or you can try to use something natural that will disperse that like a creek and get your a noisemaker there. But the reality is, you know, it's a very rare animal and the odds are not very good that I'm probably going to get a camera in front of one. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's research. And so, you know, I think that most of the people that are out there doing Bigfoot stuff, 90% of the people are just out there to have an experience. They're not really doing research on an animal. They're going out there at night and they're hitting something or they're going to a graveyard or an edge opening and hoping yeah. that they can have something come in and they're having an experience. They're just not doing research. That's and so largely way, now yeah. I don't go at night, unless I, you know, maybe a couple of times a year I'm meeting friends or something to go out. But, um, I've just already been there with, you know, I have a thermal, I've done the whole, mm. you know, things like that. I'm just interested in, you know, um, getting some significant evidence. You talk about some of the mistakes that people make, um, using the cameras. Yeah. What, what, what are some of the mistakes that what, uh, they do when they, so there's some studies out, um, last summer that some of the scientists were trying to show all the different types of primates where the bonobos or the orangutans and some of the chimps, how they would react to game cameras. They all saw them. Some were indifferent to them. Some were afraid of them. Some were curious of them, but all of them, to me, it looked like that the cameras were pretty obvious too. You know, some of us are really setting these things up like, a lot of my cameras aren't, you know, people mm -hmm. would probably see them, but, you know, a great time, you know, you may be cutting bark out of a tree and replacing, um, you know, something like that, trying to get it where it's not, um, you know, so obvious to people. But 
I mean, when you started to look at it and, you know, as a master naturalist, let's say I'm studying deer and I want to know how many deer are in an area, you know, I'm putting one game camera out for about every 20 acres. So if you looked at, say, Ohio, because it's between, you know, all of us that, uh, you know, they have around 400,000 uh, acres of wilderness mm-hmm. of woods. So you don't need to put cameras in um, Columbus or Cincinnati. You know, we just need to put them in the wooded area. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh-oh. There we go again. Hmm. <sighs> well, we can um, try to get him back. Like cameras. And so we don't have enough cameras to be able to coordinate enough to be able to cover all the area. And, of course, most of the hunters are set up that they're just going after places where deer would be or whatever that's they're interested in. But, you know, one time a primatologist was saying that, you know, well, where are you putting the game cameras? And the answer was like on flats, on ridges, on saddles, you know, along creeks, blah, blah, blah. And she said, well, you know, how do you know that they even travel there? I mean, the the reality is that they may travel just on north facing slopes, 10 degrees up the slope. And that's the only place they ever go. Mm -hmm. I mean, no one really knows, but I suspect that once one of us figures out exactly how to go about doing it, then it'll be easier and everybody will start getting pictures at that point. And there's well, how many that are out there, but um, how many cameras you got set up now? Around forty. Around forty. Wow, that's a lot of cameras. That's a ton of. Are they like in the circumference or? No, so it was spread out over about six hours, more or less. Um, but what I found was that I was chasing too much. I was ambulance chasing reports. You know, there'd be a report here, a report there, and I'd be all. Mm-hmm. A lot of reports. Oh. Yeah, we got. He yeah. has a really bad connection today. Um, but I don't know. Be setting up forty. It's a reconics camera. <laughs> forty cameras is a lot of cameras. That's a lot of cameras, brother. Now, yeah, do you get the, the expensive reconics cameras? You can get about a year and a half worth of pictures, and sometimes there's eight or nine thousand pictures when I'm going through them. Uh-huh. And so you're just sitting in front of the TV, you know, just going flip, 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 flip. And, you know, uh, you get a lot of cool pictures. Um, another thing I think that's helpful is like the, some of the parks. Now I'm concentrating in for my own personal stuff, smaller areas and only certain parks. And so mm-hmm. I have a relationship with all the rangers. And so I'll tell them um, like two years ago, there was an area where people were growing pot. And so I, you know, told the rangers where it was and who it was and sent them pictures and stuff because, you know, they were on my cameras. And so then about two months ago, uh, I had a couple cameras out. They were in the most remote section of Ohio. It's three and a half miles from the nearest road. It's off trail. And in that whole length of time, there was only two gentlemen that passed my camera and they were the same ones that had been growing pot previously. (laughs) So I had told the ranger that, you know, Hey, just a little heads up. These guys are back in here. So they're probably looking for a new spot or whatever it happens to be. And so, you know, I'll tell them, um, you have a lot of people deer hunting, say I'll pick up, pick a hollow and let's say it's Lydell hollow. And I'll say, you know, there's nobody in Lydell hollow at all from April until, um, you know, October. And you had about 40 people deer hunted and they just shot one doe and a small eight. And so it lets them know a lot about what's going on in the territory that they do. And over the course of time, you develop a relationship with them. And they'll give you reports and, uh, and some of them are, you know, 
like for instance, uh, I was going down this road, this park road, and it's narrow. So when a car was coming, a truck was coming, I had to kind of get over. And when I got beside me, I saw it was a U.S. Forest Service truck. And so the guy and I are just talking for a minute. And and uh, he had asked me what I did. And I said, I'm a chiropractor. And he said, you think chiropractor does all the Bigfoot stuff? And I said, yeah. And he put his car in park. And he's like, well, let me tell you. <laughs> and uh, he had told me that you know, he'd been a, an ecologist. He was a doctor for the U.S. Forest Service. And they had heard the wood knocks on eight different occasions. He said, I knew that it's not something um, natural to nature, you know, that was something acknowledged or whatever. I knew it was different. And we started talking about bones and things like that. And, you know, sometimes I'll give a whole talk on where are the bones, you know, if an animal exists, you know, why haven't we found bones? And, um, you know, but his point was that Ohio has 500,000 deer and he's like you know we find deer bones but we don't really find as many as we should find considering you know there's 500,000 deer uh you should see them all the time and you know it's just not like that but in nature we don't find commonly predator bones um wolverines coyotes mountain lions we don't find predator bones like that well how does the the, uh, structure uh, like correspond with a uh, sighting. Like if you see something on the ground, how do you know that it's Bigfoot? Like if you, like I see all these different pictures and um, there's molds and how do yeah. you know it's, it could, how do they figure it's Bigfoot? So right now there's around 400 casted prints mm-hmm. that are out there. There's scientists like Dr. Jeff Meldrum, which is a anatomist and he's an expert in functional anatomy for primates. So he looks at a lot of them and there's some other scientists that that's their specialty as well. And so even for me at Cairo that, you know, has undergrad degrees in science Mm -hmm. and kinesiology, I mean, it's apparent sometimes when you're finding the tracks that, you know, to somebody it may look like a human footprint that's large, but to me it doesn't look like that at all. Mm -hmm. Um, I will tell you that with the internet now, it's disturbing every day on Facebook, you know, I'm probably on 50 groups on there and I look at the stuff that's on there and it's horrifying to me. And I know (laughs) that there's scientists that are interested in the subject, but, um, we have citizen science that's doing the research in Bigfoot and citizen science doesn't have a very high standard. Mm Mm-hmm. And so it scares some people off and, and you'll have all the time people that are showing footprints on there that, you know, that clearly are yeah, not. Yeah, it can be Photoshop. Yeah. How do you know it's actually, but I mean, anybody can do it. I can do it. Yeah. Yeah. You just don't know. And I mean, that's one of the hard things that's about, it. I'd say inside the uh, country in North America, there's probably 100 of us that do mm-hmm. legitimate research and all of us kind of know each other. So if, mm-hmm. um, you know, Derek Randall says that he came up with something in the Pacific Northwest where they found the nest here last year or the year before. Last uh, yeah. Year. Now explain to us, uh, like people don't know about the nest. Okay. Like, to explain that to them. Um, so to a couple of years ago, there was a timber cruiser that was in an area that was thousands mm-hmm. and thousands of acres, but it was private property and no one was allowed to be on there. And he came upon these nests that when the scientists and primatologists have been brought in now and they most close. They're mess that people find 
Sean, you have to really read this book because he's going to, he's trying to explain what the nests are and it's common to find, um, you know, not common to find nests. I mean, I found three myself and mm -hmm. I'm out literally what, you know, at least a couple uh, times a week. Um, so there's the thing is, I think it's frustrating is that there's really a lot of evidence that's been put forward. Um, you know, just like, Recently, I think the most uh, common thing that maybe everybody heard was the uh, eDNA, which is one of the new forms. Yeah, yeah I was going to talk about that. There. That's so the really interesting. That, um, Expedition Bigfoot that was just out, they got eDNA material, which just came back from UCLA, and it came back as being they had human in there, which is pretty common because that's everywhere. But then they found primate as well, and it was interesting because it was in the chimp family. Is what showed up, and that's for people don't know what that is. That's the DNA. Why do they call it E D stands for environmental DNA. It's just been around like the last twenty years, but just in the last couple of years have we started to use it. And essentially, anytime that anything in nature goes through an area, whether <clears> it's a stream or um, you know just on a trail, skin cells are shed, or what hair particles you know scat fungus, whatever it happens mm -hmm. to be. And you can put markers in there and find out everything that's ever been in there. Um, it's so interesting. That might have been where you know that they believe that the Loch Ness Monster uh, was really an eel. And that was from using the environmental DNA. So they, they, they actually have DNA from this creature? Do they? Do they? Do they? Or is that just speculation that they No, they have. have. What they have found is they have found that genetic material in there that means that there was a, a primate that was in there and it was in the chimp family. So Bigfoot would not be a monkey and Bigfoot would not be a chimp. But of course, um, genetic wise, a lot of the materials are the same from, you know, even earthworms are about 75% of what mm -hmm. we are, you know, so um, animals like that would be, you know, a lot closer I mean, the reality is of however Bigfoot got here, he came across the Bering Land Bridge 10 to 20,000 years ago, and he would have dispersed across the United States, and that's how everything got here. And so it makes sense consistently because the state with the most sightings are the Pacific Northwest, and of course that's where the Bering Land Bridge is. And um, then we have two animals that we have fossils from, Gicanopithecus, which was in Asia. You know, there was several million, hundreds of millions of these animals, but we have like a garbage bag full of bones from them. There's another animal that was from um, Africa called Paranthropus, and he looked like a Bigfoot, but was just a little smaller. But the problem, of course, with that one is you had to come all the way from Asia through, or I'm sorry, from Africa through Asia to get to the United States. Mm -hmm. But those are two common ones that people would look at. And of course, you know, we only have a very small percentage of um, the fossils of, you know, all the animals around 20%. So there's a good chance that we probably don't even have a document of what it could possibly be. And then in terms of the United States, I mean, the Bering Land Bridge was open 10 to 20,000 years ago, but... You know, it takes in, everybody believes, you know, in most cases, 10,000 years at least for a fossil to show up. So there may not even have been fossils here. Sean, what are your thoughts? I have a lot of thoughts. Go ahead. 
I do have a lot of thoughts. Um, I have like a lot of thoughts here. When Go I ahead. was listening to you talk, um, and when you are doing your research on Bigfoot, have you ever tried something different instead of doing the basic cameras? I mean, like trusting your intuition, knowing that there's something that's going to be there, that a Bigfoot could be there. That's sure. My, so that's my first question. Okay. Second question is, me and Jenny have been doing this for two years, okay? And we've had Bigfoot people on, you know, we also had uh, ufologists and stuff like that. Now, this is a two-part question. I believe that um, UFOs and Bigfoot have something in common going on there. I do believe that they come in from a different dimension, Um I would like to know what your thoughts are on that. So, Sean, it just, you probably saw it just kind of cycled out for me. I heard you say that you had Bigfoot people on, and then I lost you. Oh, okay. No, you call, what you, he's trying to say is in your book, you talk about something called Woo. Is that how you say yes. it? W O O. And yes. that's like a portal. That's what so, Sean's asking. If you think, woo is right, Sean? The, yeah. Woo is the paranormal <laughs> aspect of Bigfoot, which really didn't exist. Um, until the last, say, say 20 years ago, there was one person in the whole country that was really interested in that. And his name's Tom Powell. He's written a couple of great books. He's a really bright guy that's out West. And he was in the BFRO and he would do some of the reports that were uh, more interesting that weren't traditional type reports. But over the course of the last 10 years, Wu has really expanded in Bigfoot world. Um, okay. Right. It has expanded like, uh, it's really unbelievable. I, um, it's interesting, like, I, I'm interested in taking all the reports and listening to what everybody says. I'm out as much as anybody that I know in the woods since I was a little boy. I've mm -hmm. never had anything happen to me I could not explain. Um, but I know that people do. And, you know, it is what it is. Um I think that one of the things that is an issue for me with the woo aspect of Bigfoot right now is we've never had a time where people are in the woods less. They don't know what the trees are. They don't know what the animals are. They're afraid of the dark. They're afraid of snakes. They're afraid of getting lost. They are so uninformed compared to their grandparents and their great grandparents and their great grandparents that you know, lived off the land and farmed and, you know, hunted and did all these things, then now we have people that they go into the woods and if something happens that they can't explain or that nothing happens, then, you know, they attach this paranormal aspect onto something that I think that before we go to that, you know, we should exhaust all the other things. So if you're in the woods and you're all hyped up because you're going to see Bigfoot, <laughs> and, uh, you know, you're nervous about it and you're not sleeping that well and you're telling all these stories and then you go out there and, you know, something happens. Well, you know, people will say, well, I got zapped. You know, I got infrasound. Bigfoot shot me with infrasound. When huh? To me, it's much more realistic that they mm -hmm. are anxious and had a normal physiological reaction that I would probably have maybe as well. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we're attaching it to different type of thing but once no. again i understand that you know people have different perspectives and believe different things it's just hasn't been my experience 
We follow um, David um, Pollitt. Is that how you say his name? Pollitt's? He's from the Missing 411 and yeah. the Canaan Project. Do you know who I'm talking about? He um, he's goes around the world, especially to national parks, and he um, he covers the missing missing people, and he records it, and he has like every area of the United States he'll have the missing people. And he, he believes that there's something supernatural because um, some of these people are in locations that there's no way they could have got to without somebody taking them. And, and th- most of these people aren't like, uh, sh- like shredded up like an animal did it. And he's saying it's a paranormal um, entity and do, what do you think? Do you do you do you have you ever followed him, or do sure. you know of any uh, of the missing people uh, at the national parks? Yeah, David Pilates is his name. Pilates. Yeah, and so his first two books he written were Bigfoot books. So all of us kind of know each other. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember when he first started that him and I emailed some back and forth. And I think oh, wow. that you know his, and I can't speak for David, of course, but my perspective was in the beginning that he was saying that some of these disappearances were in areas that Bigfoot exist and maybe Bigfoot could be related to some of the disappearances. And, uh, and of course, you know, we've seen other aspects. If you've watched the missing 411 shows or mm-hmm. read the books now, mm-hmm. and, uh, even those, I mean, the great majority of them are probably medical type things. And when you read the books, that's what you're left with, but there's some that are certainly mysterious and, yeah, and they seem to be like near water. And you mentioned you mentioned that in the book too about the water. Yeah, so I mean, there's certain things that, um, you know, when you look back historically with settlers in Appalachia, with the mm-hmm. Indians that are in Appalachia, the tribes that were through here, you know, they called Bigfoot. Five of the tribes had names for Bigfoot. Of course, you know, they're usually related to creeks or related to mm-hmm. high hilltops and that type of thing. Well, you talked about also how the trees are manipulated. Well, can you explain that to us? The what is manipulated? The trees. Trees are manipulated. They, oh, like okay. That's what you're saying. All Sorry. different shapes. Before I forget about it, Joe, I know you, or Sean, you asked me about the trying something different. Yes. Thing. So commonly, like I use an app called OnX app. Um, it's one that's GPS driven, so I don't have to have a cell signal when I'm in the woods. Wait, and that's how, how I keep track it? of all the yeah, stuff. How do you spell that? How do you spell that? One X O N with an X. Okay. Thank it's you. It's really cool because you can download a map to an area. You never even need the cell signal never can get lost. It'll track you and show you where you are and you can touch it and it'll show you who owns the land and how to get a hold of them. That's really cool. And so I have, um, you know, say for instance, I have toys I leave in the woods peanut butter I leave in the woods, Nutella I live in the woods, yeah, mirrors yeah. I have in the woods, um, dozens and dozens of different things in caves, on stumps, on different things, all marked. And periodically I go back and they all have pictures taken of them on my app. And I'll look and see if anything's changed, if something's altered, you know, what that's I have going on. Okay, that's cool. Or that's a really good device. Yeah, but I think that we have to constantly... You know, you can't just go out and sit and around a fire and bake, you know, make bacon and say that you're researching Bigfoot, you know, so you bacon have to sounds good. <laughs> the envelope all the time trying to find out, you know, what there is that you can do. But Jenny, what you're talking about is 
you know, the manipulation of trees yeah. structures. So, you know, I think that the reality is, is the greater primates do manipulate trees, but not a great deal. So it seems reasonable that Bigfoot would do something like that. But if you go on Facebook tonight, there's all this garbage everywhere and all this, I call it tree litter that everybody says, you know, this is being pinned here and this is being pinned there. And if you ask them, you'll say, well, do you know what kind of tree that is? No. I mean, they don't know anything about the trees. I mean, you know, if we're researching, we need to educate ourselves on what type of trees they are, what types of fungus or diseases. Now how, why were, how are they doing it? How are they manipulating them? Like, is it some kind of a, like a paranormal thing that they do or? No, no, no. Like they'll supposedly break a tree off and stack them into different type of structures. And there's whole books written about, um, you know, TP structures and this structure means this and the X structure. And okay. So the, the, the way they structure, it means something like, yeah. I mean, to me, well, though, personally, so you don't hear historically about the pioneers and the Indians. They talk about all kinds of things with Bigfoot, Bigfoot whistling, Bigfoot taking women, Bigfoot doing this, blah, 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 blah. But you don't hear them talking about manipulation of trees and tree structures. That's so, really interesting. And well, I mean, if they were ahead. doing it all the time, those people that were in the woods all the time, those Indians and everybody else, they would have been hunting them down. So I think it's fair to say that they're rare and evidence of their passing is rare too. So I've seen, um, for instance, it's in the book. There's a picture of, there was four, I think it's four, it might've been three. There were sticks that were about, you know, the size of a softball, but they were a couple feet high and they were jammed into the ground. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't something that fell, you know, they were deliberately put there. I found it compelling. But, you know, I couldn't prove anything, of course. And then sometimes, you know, like that one, if I walked you there, you would think that I was trying to kill you just to get you there because it's so remote to get to that location. But, you know, finding glyphs where, you know, you find little patterns of Mm -hmm. sticks sitting in certain ways or whatever it happens to be, you know, and it could be somebody that was there, you know, deer hunting in such a remote place or something. But, you know, it could be, you know, a Bigfoot, a primate or something as well. So, um, as the resident witch here, <laughs> the resident one, the resident witch. witch. Okay, um, witch. So, there are so many different elementals in in my beliefs and in my experience that create structures just like that. I mean, I see those what everybody's calling Bigfootness all the time. I think I posted pictures on yeah, you did. page mm-hmm. of like three just this week in mm-hmm. totally different locations. And so I'd love to see those. If you send this it, to me. Well, and this is why this is all crazy. This see if is I fascinating to me because I'm like, wow, Bigfoot gets blamed for all of those, man. There's other, there's so many other, um, I mean, shoot, there fairies and, and witches and, and all kinds Gnomes. of things to place, you know, any type of, um, structures for different meanings or reasons or whatever um, in the woods. And um, so that's interesting. But then I was also going to ask, you spoke of, you know, you noticed on different, with your cameras, like it would go 10 days, you know, with no animals. Now, right. also as a witch, you know, I, I live by the moon cycles. Yes. And there's, um, you know, astrological 
there's so much that people don't realize that goes into planetary alignments and what phase the moon's in and all of these things, even numerology, um, as far as the date on a calendar, when certain interdimensional creatures are able to travel between worlds, much like the veil is thinner for for me to be able to, to communicate with those with spirits or, or other cryptids on certain days. So have you noticed a correlation between, um, you know, times that I guess on on spottings, maybe from other people like specific dates that creates a pattern? So it's interesting that you said that because like when the East Coast researchers will try to plan their outings in the darkness of the moon, believing that Bigfoot is more active on my game cameras, which is kind of an, a side note, it keeps track of the moon face for me. And so I just note it in my notes when I'm going through, like every time I'm in the woods each day or not each day, but every couple of days, when I come out, I have an iPad and I sit down and write my thoughts, not only about the weather and the moon phase and what it is and the temperature and everything else, but you know, whether I should not have been in the woods that day, it just didn't feel good to me. You know, maybe something what, um, you know, as I age, I try not to be, I try to be more open-minded about things than I would have, would have been previously. And so for instance, um, two of my friends that are interested in Bigfoot, one is a psychic that's, um, in Georgia and she's on TV shows, helping them find kids all the time and all this stuff. And, and, uh, then there's one that was in a book when Bigfoot and that's how I met her. She lives out in Oregon and and I talk common, commonly on the phone or message or whatever, but I always listen to what they say too. You know, you try to be open-minded about it. It's funny because she had told me, she's like, Russ, when you go into the woods, you know, can you just go out there and not try not stomping around all over the woods where you're going and looking I, at your maps? I, I and thinking, you know, she's like, you need to go into the woods and just think about which way does it feel like that I should go today? And then <laughs> when you get in there a ways then sit down and eat a sandwich and, then leave part of your sandwich there and, you know, maybe a piece of fruit to move on or whatever. Yeah, so I always take offerings to, to the so yeah, those are gifts so, that you're giving Bigfoot, like not know, just so Bigfoot, not just Bigfoot, just anybody. <laughs> it's the funny. Little, I asked little fairies a, that fly around. Yeah. She, I told her that I wanted to ask Bigfoot for a picture on my game cameras. And she's like, well, choose. <laughs> she's like, well, first of all, they're not going to give you a picture. But she's like, choose a camera and then ask for a sign around that camera. I did, and I didn't have anything happen. Um, but I know that people have always asked me, you know, have you had anything interesting happen relating to your cameras? And there was this one place. It's the most haunted place in Ohio, and it's called the Moonville Tunnel. And... Um, that's close to the area where I grew up near my farm and it's the most remote section of Ohio. So I spent a lot of time there and, um, back behind the tunnel about an hour walk is a lake back there called demon Lake. And it's a very big footy like looking place or whatever. Well, there was a cliff up Ohio on a hillside and then a river down below. And so I was using two game cameras to block the whole hillside. So nothing could go by that hillside without going past a game camera so my game cameras both turned off the second week of december on the same day and they both turned back on 
the second week of April on the same day. And so when I pulled them and I saw that, then I sent them back to the manufacturer to ask him if I had an issue and both the cameras were okay. Uh, Bruce, the cat has a question for you. Okay. Um, He says he has two questions. Where are the most Bigfoot sightings located in the U.S.? And also, do you think Bigfoot sightings are related to the missing 411 phenomenon? So, the most common uh, state for sightings is the state of Washington. We've lost them again. Yeah. Do you know Pennsylvania is ranked in the top 10 for uh, cryptids and Bigfoots? No. Yeah, we are. Mm -hmm. I knew that was cutting out. Did you guys hear those states? No, go ahead. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, Number one state for sightings is Washington. Number two is Oregon. California is number three. Ohio is number four. Um, Yeah, no one ever knows why Ohio. You know, it's kind of weird, but that's that's the way it is. The other ones make really a make sense, you know, because we were talking about earlier about the animals coming over with the Mm -hmm. um, Bering Strait and all that type of thing, which would make sense. Another thing that's indicative of a creature, I think, is, you know, when you look at um, the sizing animals, you know, and there's and there's rules in nature that the farther north you go, the larger the animal. So a deer in Florida is smaller than a deer in Canada and that type of thing. And it's the same way with the footprints that we find. So the footprints on average are larger the farther north. So if people were faking everything, it would be hard for them to know and keep that in mind when they were, you know, doing all that. But um, in terms of the missing 411, and uh, I think that it's possible that in my mind that Bigfoot would be like humans and we have good humans and bad humans and humans that aren't mentally right there and, and Bigfoot and other animals are probably like that too. So I'm sure that there's historically been cases where um, there was one that was um, protecting young or protecting old or hungry or whatever it happened to be. So it seems reasonable that it would happen. But I think that we've learned over the years that, you know, they don't really mess with cattle and stuff a lot. You know, it seems like they're cognizant of certain things are going to cause a reaction and attention that they don't really want. You know, like we'll hear about them taking a, a chicken or things like that commonly. But, um, you know, you don't really, you know, maybe a pig every now and then you'll hear about them taking but you do not hear them taking cows or calves or something like that. And there might be somebody in the country who'd say, well, I know this one case, but in general, you know, when you're looking back here hundreds of years, it's just not something we see. So um, on that note, I know from, from communication with uh, Bigfoot type creatures, I guess they are very, very, um, empathic as well, just as anything that lives in the woods. But, but since they have a higher intelligence, obviously, um, that has a lot to do with why they don't over, over hunt over, you know, it, mm-hmm. because they have such a, a recent, and, and that's, that's the whole, that's also the whole native and Bigfoot um, kind of connection as well, because they have such a respect for other animals Um trees everything else um so you're saying that, they just don't kill to kill trash absolutely absolutely because they're they're impa- they're highly sensitive they're very empathic so by doing that they would be you know 
it's it's like any other empath they would feel that that same pain that same they do have emotions they do have you know so mm-hmm. that's one of the major reasons so in all of the depictions that i've ever seen um about bigfoot that is one of uh, i guess the more factual ones you need you okay like harry and the hendersons obviously yes. <laughs> you know where he's he's a vegetarian loves everything but he does get very um angry and aggressive when somebody's you know he thinks somebody's hurting the little family dog or something like it and that's the same i feel like that's kind of how i am you know (laughs) so would you think that bigfoot would be a uh, vegetarian then i i don't know necessarily vegetarian i mean some might be um i like i'm not a vegetarian but i'm an empath and i love animals and i you know i spend so much time in the fort i grew up on top of a mountain you know so um it's it's just that's obviously the circle of life. Yes, mm-hmm. I eat meat, but I do not go hunting for the th- you know to mm-hmm. um just for the hunt, kill. just for the kill, just right? for the kill. But you're also saying that there's some mean humans and there's some mean yeah. Bigfoot that go Absolutely. around and they do probably capture people like missing four one one and kill them. But I, I mean, know the theory behind like, that. People are coming at them with guns and everything else, yeah. and screaming and acting crazy. So in self-defense, that probably happens a lot. It's the same with right. like when people encounter bears in the woods. You know, bears don't necessarily go after humans, but when mm-hmm. humans are in their in their house, in their territory, and threatening them, of course they're gonna they're gonna react, you know. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I just he- have never had, you know, and maybe it's because I'm not doing that stuff or whatever, but I mean, probably until the last couple of years, I never even carried a gun all the time I'm in the woods and I'm in places where you wouldn't want to be, you know what I mean? Like you would be concerned if you didn't get out before dark, it would be a worry for you. You know what I mean? It's in a very, very remote place that, you know, you might be 20 miles from the nearest cell signal. Um, so I think that it's, um, I think that if something was going to happen to me, it could have happened to me anytime that I was a little boy um, when I was running my trap line as a kid, you know, seven or eight years old. I couldn't do that at all now, but I was raised doing that. And I didn't think anything of it when I was yeah. a young man. Um, but, you know, I mean, I was always alone in the woods without any type of protection. Uh, even running you wouldn't do everything that now. Else, you know, <laughs> and you just didn't have. Um, I you never had a time fear. where I was worried. You didn't have the fear when you were younger. Well, yeah. I'm more afraid. I'm. I mean, I am more afraid of running into a human in the woods than I oh, am yeah. any animal oh, that yeah. might be there. I'd be um, more afraid of running into a a human in the woods. Yeah, I'm. I'm more afraid of people than anything else in the world. When you, yeah, yeah, when you're with young, you. you don't have that fear, though. Hey, Russ. Whenever yes. you say when you're with your cameras, the way you set it up. Yes. How high do you have them up the tree? It just depends. I mean, I've carried them in, Sean. And um, for instance, there was this one place that this ranger had given me in this park that she thought was a very good remote section that might have, you know, if something was going to be around, that's probably where it'd be. Well, I went in there on fe- in February. This is like three years ago now. And, uh, and I'll be in there the exact same time next week. And um, snow was on the road and the road's like a dead end park road for three or four miles. 
And so I knew nobody had been in there for a couple of weeks because nobody had broke the snow. And so when I went up this hollow and as I'm walking up the hollow, you know, I can see that there's clear cuts on both sides and they're about 20 years old. I'm just judging by the, you know, how the trees look. Mm-hmm. And when I get to the end of the hollow, I can see that there's a pine forest, you know, that's probably a couple hundred acres. Well, a lot of things in nature will be in those in inclement times. You know, it's 10 to 15 degrees warmer. So I thought, well, I'm going to drop a camera right here. And so I put a camera up and as soon as I was doing it, there was a really loud wood knock, which is the noise, you know, that okay. Bigfoot supposedly mm-hmm. makes, although no one's really sure if it's a mouth pop or a hand clap or, you know, hitting a stick or whatever it happens to be. We just don't know. And my dog, which is always with me in the woods, the lab, he turned and looked too. And I said, well, that's where we're going, bub. And so then we just started right up the hollow where it came from. And I was carrying another camera with me and I saw this little hollow and I thought if I can just get in there, something will not be able to see me do it. And so I slipped another camera up right then. And then there was an enormous, just, bang, just, I mean, it wasn't 50 feet from me, but it was just right where I couldn't see it. Right. And um, so it goes on my Bigfoot calendar, right? So the next year, you know that I'm going to be there. So every year I'm around those same places seeing if I can find evidence. And last year I found evidence the same place, roughly the same time. So, you know, I'm getting my calendar moved down. I moved seven cameras into that one area for that. A lot of cameras, huh, Sean? Yeah, it's a shitload of cameras. <laughs> a lot of cameras. No, a I mean, lot of cameras. That's too many. But I think Jason would be impressed. Someone uh, took three of the cameras. And so what I did then was um, there used to be in the 1800s two roads that went over that river. Now there's no way across it. So I took a ladder and I would put my cameras and they're about 15 feet high. And I have them walking, watching that bridge, those two bridges. But it was interesting. I went, I took my dad there uh, before the book was coming out because it was my last chance. I'm thinking maybe I'll get something really good to put in the book on one of these cameras. It's uh, Ohio's areas, but they have the most bobcats in the state. And, you know, so I'm able to tell them how many bobcats they have. There's these formulas you can use and all this stuff. But I got in there and the one camera was ripped off the tree just the half of it was left up there and I got to the other camera and it had been opened and just left alone. So something, I don't even know how something messed with my cameras and they were 15 up feet up hidden, but well, um, something messed with them. guardians. Pardon me. I, I don't know if you're familiar with um, in for, there's forest guardians that people, um, you, you know, have been known to, break break trees and and knock and all these other and and they're highly intelligent as well so they're you're saying there's uh there's something different than bigfoot right okay but um but but i mean they 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 guard the trees so mm-hmm. maybe they're guarding the trees so you can't right. see so the if they mess with the cameras <laughs> yeah <laughs> Well, uh, did you catch any audio? I mean, because you didn't get anything like you didn't see a big hairy thing like no. But you, did you catch any? Did you get any audio? So of audio, any kind of sounds like camera traps or like, um, you know, what's the uh, drones or whatever? Those are specialties. So, like in the area that I'm at, there's a medical doctor 
that I'm friends with and that's his deal and that's what he's interested in. So throughout this 10 to 12 mile park, Mm -hmm. he has long distance recorders up, long duration recorders. Okay. So they last, they turn on at night around dark, they record all night and they click off in the morning and they last about six weeks. And then periodically he'll walk in, move them or whatever. And then he keeps track of, he analyzes them with a computer program and then mm-hmm. he'll send me a message and say, Russ, you know, that one camera that was out on this one place, blah, blah, blah. But I, there was a wood knock on this date and I just add it to the calendar all the time. So I'm just trying to accumulate data for that thing all the time. Now, why is it just at night though? Yeah. Just, just for res- resourcefulness or. Yeah. Resourcefulness because um, we don't have, it's interesting. There's these new cam- new uh, recorders out now that ornithologists, birds, bird doctors are using and they found some new species and what they're doing is they have software that will analyze all the birds. So they're putting these um, recorders out. And then about once a month, they go in, they pull the recorder, they put it on software, and it analyzes every bird on there. And if there's an unidentified bird, then they send a biologist in, or an ornithologist, I should say. So it's cheap because, you know, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to have people camping out. You just keep moving it around until you find something that's not there, and then you go send people in. And so that's the problem, though, with implementing the technology in the field is it's just not lasting very long. So you're just choosing your poison and although they make noises during the day and all of us have heard them do stuff during the day, it's more common to happen at night. Now, you, go, go ahead. Go, no, no, you go no, ahead. No, 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 I was just going to say, when you said the wood knocking, yes, is that, that's some communicating with each other? Well, no one really knows, right? So, I mean, great apes will mouth pop. You know, they'll stick their finger in there. And, of course, their mouth and their fingers are very large mm. and Uh, mountain gorillas when the mother gets upset with her child and she'll hand clap and it's very loud you know it's hard to imagine bigfoot running around the woods with a stick every time that he needed to hit a tree so so knocking i don't i don't know um how familiar you are with um portals and, and vortexes and stuff like that knocking is kind of a universal code for portals so there's there's other cryptids that could use that as well, I guess. Yeah. Um, I can just but, tell you that, that it's is a sign that the portal's hear. nearby. It's what? It's that a could be a sign that the portal's nearby, so, yeah. which would be a good indication that Bigfoot could be nearby. The reality is, is that you don't commonly hear that noise. And all the time that you spend in the woods, like, there was these two biologists that were, they, uh, Huken and Sullivan, they were in Washington and they had a sighting in the seventies, got really interested. So they would go around in the woods, you know, with their camera, because of course mm-hmm. we didn't have phones. Right. And they would take these notes that were really good. And they, they said that it took about 200 hours for you to come up with like hair or, you know, maybe a sighting or whatever it happened to be. And so I found that when I was doing the first book, which was six years ago, that that number was pretty good for me that about every 200 hours I was having something happen. That's a lot of time in the woods, you know, yeah. that you're just hiking normally and nothing mm-hmm. happens. But what I have found now that I've concentrated on just several areas that it happens much more frequently to me, but invariably um, you do not hear it that much. 
Um, I'm suspicious if I see somebody or somebody files a report or whatever it is that they're just hearing stuff and seeing stuff all the time. And, you know, there's these people that we have called habituators, which um, they are either knowingly or unknowingly feeding something, maybe a Bigfoot, without realizing it. You know, maybe they throw their scraps out every night or maybe they have a great big garden or maybe they um, have a lot of deer, but they like don't like anybody to kill anything. So they post their property heavily. So things are in there. And so they're having an effect on um, those animals, you know, that are like that. Um, so some of those people are around that are commonly having interactions but the problem is they start to enjoy the interaction with the animal and they really just don't care about the research anymore. And like I said, that's the issue that we have. Um, I just did an interview with these two scientists that were from university of Cardiff, I think, and in, in great Britain. And they were curious about the Bigfoot thing. And their whole deal was that how many trained um, people were doing the research, you know, and everybody's, you know, cause like I told you, it's, maybe it's like 10% of us that are legitimately doing some type of science-based research. And then the rest of the people are, you know, they just want to have an experience. They're just out there for the fun, which is cool, right? I mean, I'm not against that at all. I'm just saying it's just not research. Just, you know. Now, now see, when it, nothing against that, which call that you are scientific and you're going by a scientific approach about this. But I know for me in ghost hunting that I've been in the business for over 30 years now, okay, um, I'm more on the spiritual side of the thing, okay, not so much on the scientific. Um, I, I do kind of balance it out because I do look for the scientific things. But my question to you would be, how would you accept a person like me, you know, going after Bigfoot with my gifts? you know, or what I know what to do. I'm, you know what I mean? Not just going out to get a reaction or get touched or whatever. I'm just saying, Hey, I want to go search Bigfoot, but I want to do it my way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What would well, you Well, I mean, that's, it's America. So it's a great thing. Everybody. Well, I know. But what, to me, I want to know how you would feel if someone would come up to you and say, Hey, listen, let's work together, but let me do my way and you do your way. How would you go with that? Yeah. So, I mean, as I was talking about the two women that were sidekicks, I mean, it, it's not my deal, but, you know, I mean, they're friends of mine and I respect that people have different varying views. And so I was open minded, you know, and I would listen to them just like I would listen to a witness that maybe had, you know, because no one really knows the mystery. Right. I mean, everybody kind of thinks they do or they may have a suspicion. But, you know, you know, Trish thinks one way I may think another way. You may think another way, but none of us really know for sure yet. And so I think that it's good that people come in and would do different things like you would do. The only thing that I would say is that I think that there's a danger once again, to attaching paranormal to something that you should rule out the normal physiological before we jump to something is, you know, outside of normal realm, so to speak. Okay. Russ, why do you suppose that there hasn't been a sighting? Um, do you think it's because the Bigfoot doesn't want to be seen? or There's lots you... of sightings. Well, I mean, actually see like proof that 
get it on some camera, get it on a, yeah, all, camera. like video, like right up close up. You think he's just too quick? Or no, there's, I mean, there's a lot of film that's out there. I mean, of course, the greatest one that's known or the most well-known is 1976 the or 67, the Patterson-Gimlin film, which is, you know, no one's ever proven it to be fake of any type at all. And there's actually a lot of um, images on the Internet that a lot of people find compelling and believe. But sadly, we're at this time with technology that, man, people can do some stuff. Yeah, and so kind of like we were talking about earlier, unless you know, like you if know you guys hear a month from now that Russ Jones got a picture of a you know a Bigfoot on game cam, <laughs> you might think, well, you know, I know Russ, I don't think he'd fake something. So you know, it's probably yeah, horrible. yeah. But you know, what I mean, if it wasn't something somebody I or knew, or your or your camera outside, like why you know all of a sudden there's something on it, you know, why do you think that you're not catching it on one of your trail cams? So. I think once again, that it's with a camera that, you know, something what Trisha's saying, <coughs> excuse me, it's a, it's an electrical thing. It's an energy thing. I can mm. tell you that I have pictures where they will stick twigs in front of my cameras. That happens all the time. You Not mean the, the Bigfoot doing that? He's put it, you can see the twigs set up. Yeah. You know, when you're setting a camera up, you're making sure that there's nothing in front of your camera. So, you know, you're not, I don't want to look at a squirrel all day and I don't want to look at one limb <laughs> or one leaf blowing, you know, 80,000 times literally. And so I found that the more remote your camera is, the more interested in that they may mess with it. So for instance, mm -hmm. like here a while back, I had one of my peanut butters disappear. Well, you know, some of the peanut butters may have a camera on them. Some of them may not have a camera on them. Like this one did not. And mm -hmm. so it was duct taped to a tree. So I take the duct tape, you know, there's some hair on it. I save it, you know, I have it now, but then I instantly replaced it with some really pretty colored crystals, oh. you know, for them again, once again, As a no cameras on it. I'm just giving them stuff mm -hmm. for all I know. It's a person that was way back in there in the middle of nowhere. I have no idea. You know, I'm just trying. Um, so they, but they will mess with the cameras. Once again, you know, it's common for me to see that. Um, or what about the, you know, like we were talking about earlier, you know, so you move all your cameras in one region because there was a sighting there and you were in the exact spot. And so you have four cameras in there and that same 10 day period, all four cameras have no animals on them. So, you know, that something's in there disrupting. Now it could be, a mountain lion, you know, it could mm -hmm. be whatever, but it's just something that you have to record and be attentive to it that, you know, something's disrupting the animals in that area at that particular time. But, um, but there, there, you know, some, there's a picture out of um, Pennsylvania called Jacob's creature mm -hmm. that, you know, a lot of people believe is a Bigfoot. You can Google that. Um, With Jacob's creature, Jacob's creature. If you Google that, it'll show you a picture of, a juvenile Bigfoot people believe uh, that was taken by a game camera. And I would say that I gave a talk at uh, the Ohio Bigfoot conference, which is the largest one in the world, just on game cameras two years ago. And I showed some pictures that hadn't been in the public yet. And there's some pictures around of, of Bigfoot, you know, like there was one that came out of Kentucky and it was like an older animal that, um, was like gray and balding and it was eating corn from like a feeder. So, you know, it's probably near the end of its life cycle and probably wasn't as concerned maybe about 
you know, I was more concerned about just finding the food source. Um, but I think that there'll be, you know, once again, I think that some of us will come up, somebody will come up with a way to do it, how to get a picture, maybe, right? Maybe not, who knows? And um, if, if someone figures it out, then all of us will be able to do it. And I think that that's the reality of, of Bigfoot. If a coal truck hits one today in Pennsylvania or Ohio or West Virginia, and then all of a sudden you're going to see all this evidence come out that these people have been holding videos, bones, things that people just don't want bothered by and don't want the public to mess with them by. But when it comes out, I think we're going to see a lot of evidence at once. Well, that's what I was going to say, because people ask me that all the time just like with the um, the forest, the tree structures and stuff and and with with ghosts, with whatever. Um, it these things happen to me every single day. So to me, it's not it was never I don't even think about getting a picture or something, you know, because I, I I'm psychic and, and intuitive and I and I attract those things and I always have. So it wasn't, it's just something that's kind of second nature and we don't think about it. Mm -hmm. Um, We're not thinking about getting proof for any reason or so when, when I, you know, come across these things or, or even with, no, I want proof, but that's what I'm saying. (laughs) I, I, I'm like, Oh shoot. I didn't, dang, I didn't know you wanted proof. Like I could give you, (laughs) you know what I mean? It's a thing like, (laughs) and I think that's the same reason that so many people haven't encountered them because they don't want you to obviously if if there's kind of a equal threat perception between not only between you perceiving them them also perceiving you as a threat because they you know maybe they don't know that much about humans um they're not going to let people see them so yeah Plus, it's, it's kind of the law of attraction thing. You know, you, if you go out actually looking for something, you're less likely to right. to encounter it. But it's always on those times that you're not looking for anything that you encounter. it. So, see, when I go into the woods or when I go into a haunted house or whatever, I'm not looking for a cryptid or a ghost or whatever because I already know those exist. So then I just attract them, They, you know, and it always happens. But I'm not specifically, I don't set my intention on finding anything specific. I'd say that I'm the same way because, you know, it's 100 or 200 hours before I even hear anything or see anything. So, I mean, I'm looking at every mud hole to see if I see a track and I'm always listening. But, you know, majority of the time I'm just hiking with my dog. Yeah, really. You know, and it's good for you and it's good, healthy to be out and I enjoy it. And I've done it my whole life. And um, so, but I appreciate, you know, what you're saying too. I mean, I know that there's you know, there's all different types of people and all different types of people have different, you know, like you're, like you said, you know, when you're a deal, when you weren't interested in it. And then, you know, a lot of people, they don't really know, like before the finding Bigfoot TV show, most people didn't know that Bigfoot had noises associated with it. And then smells. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so it was funny. last year I was on my, I have this farm and I bought my farm strictly because of Bigfoot activity. And I border a park for three quarters of a mile and I was down in the middle of all this thick brush. I mean, you can barely get through it. My uncle was with me and I was trying to find this place where they used to have a culvert pipe so I could get through there with my tractor. And so all at once I, I found this bed and it had all these 
limbs that were maybe like, you know, I don't know, as big as my wrist, maybe half that size, but they were all twisted off. And so mm -hmm. I'd stop my uncle and I'm like, look at this. And he turned around and he's like, what? I'm like, look, you see that? And he's like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, somebody, had, something had to made this. They had to twist this off. This didn't happen here. But see, it wasn't related to deer or to turkeys or to anything that he was interested in, like everybody else. So everybody else would have walked right by it just like right. he did. They mm -hmm. didn't know that they'd had an experience. Um, you know, that's like my grandfather. You know, he was the greatest outdoorsman I ever met in my life. And him and I would sit in the most remote places in Ohio. Back then in the 70s, we had no good, um, there was no headlamps. There was no good flashlights. We were using a carbide light, which is this little thing like a candle that has gas going down in it. And, you know, every couple of hours, he'd have to get in there and clean it out with a copper <laughs> wire. And we would be sitting in the middle of these remote woods, miles from the nearest road, eating apples, listening for, waiting for our dogs to bark. And we would hear the wood knocks and I'd say, Grandpa, what's that? He's like, well, somebody slams a car door and it's miles down the hollow and it makes its way up here. And it sounds funny like that. But he didn't know. You know, that's just what he thought. That's what he thought it was. Yeah. But if if I could go back now and say, Grandpa, you know, listen, these are all these things or whatever. Then there would probably be tons of things he'd say. Well, you know, I had this one time happen to me that I swear something was watching me. And I heard a noise what you're talking about. And, you know. And he was in all these remote places, ginseng hunting and stuff and coon hunting by himself. But um, so I suspect there's a lot of people that have had Bigfoot experiences, but just didn't recognize them for what they were. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Before we move on, I want to thank our sponsor for sponsoring this second hour, Carnation. We want to thank you, Carnation, for sponsoring us. And if you have a chance, go out and get some Carnation instant breakfast. It'll start your day off right. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Carnation. Um, the, the Jacob creature, is that what the one you're talking about? Yeah. Okay. Did you see the one with the bear? Yeah. Did so you can tell people put it up there and it doesn't really look like a bear when they do that. Um, well, my question, my question is, um, this is, is what it, they were saying. Is it possible that it could have been photoshopped? Uh, the Jacob's creature. Yeah. I mean, um, well, look at this. It looks like a bear. I'm not, I'm not, I'm just asking a question. I just want to know um, if it's, but it, because we take a ton of pictures and I've seen guys put Photoshop ghosts into pictures. And, you know, to me, that looks like it's Photoshop. And that's just my opinion. I'm not degrading it. I'm not, it, to me. Sure. That well, I, like I don't care because it's not mine, but right, it's, right. That's it's what the I'm same saying. thing that you but and I were talking about But if you look at it, earlier. it does look like a bear. Well, I mean, there's sites that you can go to where primatologists have done the, the ratios to show that there's a difference there. Like if you do research or whatever on that particular um, picture. But the reality is, like we were saying earlier, you know, none of us even know who that guy is. I just know that there was on that ground right in front of that animal was the stuff called Khmer deer, which deer hunters put out. And so that was what was on the ground there. Oh, okay. So that animal was after. Um, what, what is that? What are you talking it's about? It's like a mineral that dinner deer hunters like will over use. Here. To, yeah. It's called Khmer deer. Was and it, um, it's like a big person, like bending over to pick something up. Yeah. 
Um, I don't know. I mean, it's interesting. I'm not sure it's Yeah, it is interesting. Of course, you know, like Sean and I were talking about, I mean, unless you know the person, I mean, how are you supposed to even really know? I mean, the way technology is now, I mean, it's, it's a struggle. And so maybe that's in the end why scientists are probably only going to um, accept, you know, this as a species, although uh, Todd Discatel, which is DNA expert at New York University, he's making an argument now that um, with the fear the eDNA and the FLIR uh, type thermal stuff that you could probably come up with enough between a track and the eDNA and some other type of video footage that you wouldn't necessarily need, you know, a dead animal. What were some of the unusual things that they found throughout the Appalachians that you know of? they found like you mean like unusual, specifically yeah unusual things that they found that were unusual you, you mean like related to bigfoot stuff yeah i mean i think that um it was always accepted by the indians that there were certain areas that um they didn't usually meaning the indians didn't usually stay in. there were certain areas that they respected just for hunting mm-hmm. or certain areas they accepted as spiritual and those are typically the areas where the greatest number of Bigfoot sightings would be. Um, you know, there is a long history. Um, Daniel Boone, you know, on his deathbed confessed that he had shot a Bigfoot. He called it a, um, I'm trying to think of it. The big, the book that was popular back then was called Gulliver's Travels. It was mm-hmm. a Yahoo. As he said, he shot a Yahoo on his deathbed. Um, which was a ape-like animal that was eight to 10 foot tall. Um, and Davy Crockett um, said that he had shot one as well. You know, so there's some historical people through Appalachia um, that believe that they'd had encounters like that. I mean, I think that another thing too, I was thinking about this right before I came on because I didn't want to lose track of it. You know, usually people say like, how many of them would there be in North America? And so, you know, most of the time, I'd say that most of us would estimate between four and 20,000 in all of North America. And so then if you started looking at it and you thought that it was, you know, some type of primate that the average age is going to live is, you know, around 50 or so. And then there's usually a five to 7% attrition rate. So in all of North America, you would only have around, you know, 400 or so that would die a year to be found then you start dividing them out around populations based on, you know, different factors and say in the whole state of Pennsylvania, there may only be three or four animals to be found. So, you know, the odds are um, not very good that someone would be able to find something like that anyways, you know, and that doesn't take into account, you know, some people believe that, you know, there's reports, several reports of them burying dead or putting large rocks over the dead and there's other mammals that do that as well. So, you know, maybe they do that or, you know, maybe they're just like all the other um, predator animals that I was saying earlier. I mean, there's tons more mountain lions than there is um, Bigfoot, but we don't find mountain lion bones either. You know, so if we're not finding something that is outnumbering Bigfoot in a great deal, we're probably not going to find Bigfoot bones as well. And let's face it, I mean, if you're traveling in the woods, you're probably not picking up a bone unless it's like a skull that looks like a human or something, you know, yeah. you might pick that up or something, but most oh, of the bones. Oh no, riches, riches collect <laughs> bones. 
That's yeah. Trish, oh, what were your thoughts? You were going to say something. Yeah. Um, so I was going to say, to put it into perspective, um, Bigfoot, you know, especially in, in native beliefs and stuff, they, they had different tr- kind of tribes, um, I guess. And there were wars amongst them. Um, just like any other, just like humans or any other animal or even like mountain lions, um, because it's kind of a territorial thing. And, and as you said earlier, some were more violent than others, even against Mm -hmm. each other. So this happened, which I assume is why you hear more stories from the 17, 1800s, because there were more back then. And they started literally killing each other because, you know, like a mountain lion, one mountain lion has like a hundred mile radius, a pretty mm-hmm. big area. Um, and they don't get along well with other mountains. You, you know, it's, it's kind right. of the same concept. And so when you think about it in that perspective, um, there, it's another, um, you know, being that's trying to preserve it, it's, it's race to not go extinct. Right. Um, and so, and somebody put this, told me this when I was little and, and lived in the mountains, you know, um, they told me this in relation to like redheads. They're like, well, there's only 1% in the entire world. So you're not going to, because I'd never saw another one. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, that makes sense. You know, so you're not going to see the same when people say they never see them. Well, that there's literally thousands upon thousands of acres of national forests and wilderness and everything else that hasn't even been you know, discovered or walked through or anything by man. So. Yeah. More now than there's ever been for the last, uh, since, well, in the 80 years it's increased to around 20%. So a lot of people have the perspective or the, you know, that man's been everywhere and that, um, you know, we've found everything there is to be, um, discovered, but you know, that's not the reality. You know, one of the interesting things I think of like, I don't know if you guys have heard about Action Jackson, which was, you know, that yeah. renowned forest ranger from Yellowstone, you know, and he, Yellowstone's one of the only places in the country that you can be in one spot and it's 20 something miles in each direction to a road. And, you know, he was the one that patrolled that area and for poachers on horseback or whatever. And of course he just recently retired and he had a Bigfoot sighting he talked about. Um, so, you know, it's hard to question some of those people, you know, that are out there. I mean, we have all different types of witnesses, but, you know, I've made the argument too, that there's some witnesses that we have to attach a little more worth to what they're saying and, you know, you know, historically than what, you know, we may on something else, but I thought it was interesting. I've been reading this book. Let me grab it here real quick. I wonder how many have been spotted or if he uses, um, Google earth. Say that oh, one more time. I'm sorry. You know, Trish. because that use that is everywhere now, I guess. To spot it, Bigfoot. <laughs> yeah. That'd Google cool. Earth. We could do. I can see that. I well, because they that. catch other things, you know, in right. the Yeah, it would be great if they Google did. Or, Maybe like, somebody should there you go, Ross. Maybe you can look into that and see hey, if they sadly, ever caught anything. People that are on Facebook right now that have it to say that they've caught it and they look at things. Gosh. Have you guys seen this book here before? No, I've never heard of it. What is it? It's called The Great Soul of Siberia. No. No. So it's a story about how 
one man went to an extent to be able to get a picture of the a first picture of the first film of a Siberian tiger. Oh, so the animal's 10 feet long, you know, and it's a rare animal, but the gentleman lived inside a, for six months inside a tomb about the size of a grave down below zero, just to be able to get a picture of the animal. Black rhinoceroses, which we know exist. The scientists right now is trying to get game cam pictures of them. He has 500 game game cameras out. He doesn't have a picture yet, and it's been three years. Oh, he's been in that cave that long. The reality is that most of the time people are living their lives. We're all busy. Mm -hmm. We have a family. We have a job. We have COVID. We have all this stuff. And we're not that interested in certain things. And most people aren't that interested in Bigfoot um, or the intricacies of Bigfoot. And if there's really evidence that's out there, whatever it happens to be, it's, it can be frustrating. I know last week, uh, my friend, Matt Moneymaker, the lawyer from the TV show was on NPR and they were doing an interview with him. And there was an anthropologist from um, university of Illinois on there. And they were kind of debating a little bit. And, and um, in the end, the anthropologist had said, well, in the end, you just don't have any proof. And, and Matt had said, oh, gosh, man, you're just so wrong. You just don't even know. You're just not interested enough to bother. Just to not interested enough. But, you know, if I do many times, I'll do a show and they'll have some type of different type of doctor on there and we'll be debating the issues or whatever. But we're debating the same things that most of us have worked out years and years ago. Like they may have somebody talking to me that they don't think that there's enough food for there to be a species like that. And of course, you know, you're rolling your eyes when you're thinking about it. Cause you're like, we already dealt with all this. Mm-hmm. I mean, we already know there's enough food out there. I mean, no one doesn't think that there's enough food. No one doesn't think there's enough terrain or territory. I mean, it's um, there's all those things for a species to exist. Okay. Now, I have one question for you. Is, but I'm just a, saying it could be there. I have a question for you. Now we talk about aliens and UFOs and Jenny knows where I'm coming from. Uh-uh. You know, now I've seen ghosts and I'm a ghost hunter and I believe in aliens, but to make sure it's a hundred percent correct, I want to shake an alien's hand. You know what I mean? <laughs> you want to shake Bigfoot's hand, Russ? <laughs> no, no, it's not. Yeah, that, I, Russ, I, Russ, I, what I would you do, one. honestly? Honestly, what would you do if you got that picture? You got all the evidence. How? How? What would you feel inside? Like, I mean, what would be your emotion if you had that um, before? Bigfoot I wish apart. <laughs> I wish that I wouldn't need the pride thing to be able to say to my mind to so many people. I told it's you so. Pride, but would you be humble? Because I know I was. Well, I, I, that's the whole thing is I want to tell you that I want to be humble and I don't want to say anything to all those people because I've invested thousands of hours a year, every year, and thousands of dollars, tens of thousands a year just on Bigfoot stuff. No. And spend all my time on there. You know, in the end, if I'm wrong, I mean, I got to, I got to spend all that time in the woods, right? I mean, it was pretty cool, and it was a good time for me. But um, I don't want to kill one. I definitely believe that I'll resolve the issue. I mean, of course, I believe that you know, and this is just me that it's a flesh and blood type animal. I hope that it doesn't make me pull a gun when I'm in the woods. Mm-hmm. 
you know, I don't want to have to do that. I think that when you do, and I say when you do, because you will, as you already answered your own question, once you get past the pride thing, encounter Bigfoot, I I don't think you will put it out there. I think because it is your life's work and your passion. You want to keep it a secret. At yeah. that point, you will be, it's such, encountering any new animal or or even interdimensional beings, aliens, skirts, whatever. It's such a personal journey as well. And so you become, I, I think you'll become more interested in building a relationship with it than, than letting the entire world come and ruin it, you know? Maybe so. <laughs> or it'll happen so fast that you don't even have time to get your camera. It might be well, you know, Jen, situation. What, what happens commonly like that is when you're a woodsman and you've been in the woods your whole life, Every little thing that you hear or see automatically your brain categorizes without you even thinking about it. So when I go in the woods every day, I tell myself, no matter what, pause, because like uh, it was last fall or last August, I think, if I remember right, I had to look at my calendar. And I was in this one spot because there was two gentlemen that had a Bigfoot sighting on that week the year before. So, you know, I'm using my calendar. I'm in the same place trying to reproduce same area they might be around who knows and um it had rained a lot the night before and when i got there and parked there was nobody around and so i got up on top of this mountain and i'm coming along well your dog's supposed to you know in theory be on a leash whenever you're in parks but shade listens to me well and he's off leash but he's always about 20 feet in front of me and so i saw in my mind a hiker just like 60 feet from me, 60 yards from me that was wearing buff collared and had a backpack on. And I just literally for an instant. And as soon as I saw it, I just went shade ran right to me and I clicked him on the leash and we started walking. It literally wasn't 10 seconds later. And I realized that the trail turned the other way. And what I saw was off trail. Well, then instantly I was suspicious and I ran right there. There's this bridge and I could see the whole area and there was just nothing there but my brain had categorized something in an instant and so now i'm using a gopro all the time on a hiking mm. stick and i'm carrying that with me so if i would have had that with me you that day caught you it know, i would have been able to see you know what it was or whatever i would have had a clear shot of it That's but great. you know but before we let you go uh, i just want to mention your book on um, the Appalachian Bigfoot is an Amazon. And I noticed earlier today it was number one. Yeah, and it's, it's been number, number one for a couple of weeks. Yeah, and it's great. Yeah, so that's Thank awesome. And yeah, if- I, had to, I read the first book called Tracking the Stone Man, and that was six years ago. And then I wrote this one, uh, the Appalachian Bigfoot, and it just came out, I think, 20, last 2020, month. And then... The publisher had emailed me asking me to do a second edition there. on the first book. That's so awesome. I'll be going back later this year and adding content to it. Who's um, your publisher? Beyond the Fray. I should see if they want to pick me up. <laughs> hey, talk to them. Yeah. I'll say that. I Can I mention you? I can yeah. say, yeah. Yeah, Reach I mean, out to me and I'll send you some contact information. Definitely. definitely. There you go. There, yeah. There you go. Got something in the works. But um, it was a fascinating topic. It's one of so our cool. favorite. Um, I know it's one of my favorites. 
the book. Uh, do you think there's any relation between Bigfoot and giants? Gosh, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, especially in... Um, because they've been finding a lot of those bones. You know, I just thought about that in the recent last few years. Yeah, and I mean, some of them were hairy. Yeah. yeah, some of them were buried. It's disturbing when you see a lot of them because there's pictures historically of whole towns around these large giant skeletons. And then, of course, a lot of people believe that the turn of the century that the Smithsonian did away with them because, you know, it kind of was a concern that it was going to fly in the effect of some type of religion, religious issues. And um, so, you know, they just disappeared. Um, I mean, I'm not sure that like here in Charleston and along the Ohio river Valley, we have some that, you know, like the ones here were five skeletons were eight foot tall. So those were probably not a Bigfoot type thing because, you know, it was more of a ceremonial burial type thing or whatever. But um, I'm suspicious of, I think it's interesting, you know, it's like, I want to say it was two years ago here. There was this, uh, what, two rivers that come into Charleston. And there was this guy that was kayaking. And I mean, this is, you know, Daniel Boone lived here on the river. And I mean, it's not like, you know, there haven't been people here for hundreds of years. And this guy is like, noticed this like stone stuff when he was kayaking, literally almost in downtown Charleston, climbed up there and pulled back these rocks. And there were these, Native American skeletons in there that were ceremonial laid out and you know, they had been there. And it makes me wonder, there's a lot of stuff around that we just haven't found, you know, that, uh, that I would like to bump in that were pretty cool. But, you know, I think that believing in Bigfoot is a romantic notion. Yeah. It's magical. It is. There's, it's something neat to think that there's things left out there to be discovered for us and that we don't know everything. And that, um, you know, if we pause and we're open-minded and we just like doing something we like to do and be outside anyways, you know, that maybe, um, maybe as Trish said, I'll become uh, laid back enough that, you know, maybe I'll be in the right place. And Mm -hmm. I have it in my mind how it's going to happen, you know, exactly where it's going to walk. And I see it and it's, you know, walking to my right, to my left, and it looks at me and walks along. (laughs) You know, so maybe that'll be the way. Maybe he'll give you a big hug. (laughs) I'm trying to manifest it. I think he watches you. Yeah. 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 You know, I've been thinking about that also. Also today is that they see you all the time. Yeah. Yeah, Maybe you you got a good rapport with them, but maybe they're afraid to come see you. Think about it. Well, you know, the uh, one psychic uh, that's in out West, she had told me, um, I'm trying to think, I think she called him a clan. And she was saying the one that was around your farm, that, that's where I grew up hunting and being in the woods mm-hmm. all the time. She's like, they, she said, they know who you are and there's Absolutely. five of them. Yeah, it's our clan. And they're, they're familiar with you. And, that's what I was speaking uh, of too. And, and that's what I mean. I think, it's, I think it's just a matter of when you get on their same, you know, it's the same with people and stuff. If you're on the same vibration, um, you're more comfortable approaching somebody, um, whether it be animals or people or anything, you know. Mm-hmm. So just being a little yeah, I just want them to come out and play. Yeah, just tell them that. Put it out in the yeah, yeah. put, put it, it out there, there in the universe. Them. You just want well, to. You never know, right? Cows. That's well, all. But well, we're gonna have to let on. you go, Raj. Oh, hey, I appreciate a, you guys having me. It was, it was a good great time. show. Um, yeah, it was we'll be in contact. We'll have you back on. We'll get that second book out or third book. And we'll put you back on. And yeah. thanks again. 
for oh, joining us tonight. Thanks for us. Everyone on here, make sure you go check out his book. It's a good read. I read it. But thank you so much for joining us tonight. You have a great one. Thank you. Wow. That was a good, good. Where where did Sean go? Oh, no. (laughs) I I didn't mean to do that. Yeah, you did. I did not. Yeah, you did. I did not. No, I, (laughs) yeah, it was a good book. And I wanted to go over some other stuff, but, um, I want to concentrate on our last 47 minutes. No, not 47 minutes. No, 47. 47. Come on, girl. You want to run into my... It's 47. No, 15 minutes. Oh, my mm. God. That was a good show. I mean... Yeah, he was very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like the fact that he's not too far from us. No, not so, at all. Yeah, so um, that's good. So I'll let me take this... What? Um, Colorado has a lot of Bigfoot sightings. I, I wonder if he's ever been to, you oh, know, further sure west. Oh. And um, I know we do a lot on Bigfoot, and I know we're going to have um, Stan Gordon, but I was going to hopefully, we have him on in February, but I hope we can talk to him more about the, the other weird stuff that's going around um, around this area and all over the country. It seems like there's a lot of weird sounds. Yes, People is. are hearing trumpets still. Um bangs a lot of asteroids there's another one coming it's like one after the other i mean we're gonna pretty soon it's just gonna knock us off <laughs> to the universe that's that's the way i look at it i mean there's some places that that recently like within the last couple of weeks i'd be just outside my backyard and i'm thinking you're hearing these weird noises yeah something's I don't know about you me. kansas i don't know if you're hearing those lo- loud noises <laughs> Seems i like mean I, it's just weird yeah it's it's i've them forever so and as yeah. i was i was telling you all it was years ago which you can't find it on the internet anymore or anywhere for that matter i assume they've been deleted um but the same thing happened um in 2018 yeah, um, and yeah, then i, I think that. also in 2012 but obviously we something have, like, weird happened some kind of time warp stuff in 2012 there was some um, kind of a time warp or something everybody felt mm-hmm. it yeah yeah <laughs> and so you know, that's, it's been, I don't know why it hasn't been researched more. You know, I have my theories behind that, but um, it's been around for, for yeah, a Yeah, it's a lot of weird stuff mm-hmm. is happening. Um, unfortunately, there's a lot of bad stuff going on in the news that, um, I know we don't talk about it, but uh, we might be getting into some kind of conflict in which I'm not really hey, happy Tom. about. I'm, I'm saying hello to Tom. Hey, Tom, how you doing? Right, Can't brother. wait to check you out in Gettysburg. Yeah, he did. He's a good dude, man. He's a good dude. Before we leave the show, okay, so tell us again about this ghost hunt you're going on. Yeah, it is down. It's called the Buxton Inn. Buxton. Buxton Inn. And I think it was built in the early 1800s. Uh, the lady wanted me to give get to she wanted to share you know the different type of hauntings that they have down there but i told her not to tell me because what i like to do is when i go into a place i like to um you know see what i can pick up but we're going to be there three three times this year this weekend february 19th and march 26th and if you want to come and join us just give the buxton in a call and make some reservations and we'll be more than happy to take you (laughs) And Trish, you're coming to New York with us next in the September, aren't you? New York, what's um, in New York? I hope. Um, 
I can't go. No, I hope to to plan a trip out. You know, I have family in the Northeast, so so I hope to plan a trip out there um, at some point this year, anyways. And but we lot of are the unvaccinated. A lot of good New York. The Hill, the Helms, the Helmsman House. He'll, you know, our guest for next week. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I about that guy. Yeah, yeah. so um, hopefully we'll see you in New York. But I'm telling you what, I'm going to take a plane to Kansas. You will yes. pick me up, and then we will go ghost hunting for a weekend. Then I'll fly back. There you go. I'm hoping to um, join Apex. You know, we had them on cool. the show. There uh, you go. Depending you on go. weather, but but I'm pretty sure I can make it um, this Friday at the McIntyre Villa in Atchison as well. So that should be exciting. Now, is Atchison a lot really, really haunted place, like a ghost yes. town of some sort? Yes. <laughs> there's And there's just, there's a lot of history there, too. You know, there's going back to Civil War, and, and there's, um, you know, the Santa Fe Railroad goes through there. So when the Santa Fe Railroad began, it was Topeka, Atchison, and Santa Fe. So oh, wow. it was a major, you know, it was one of the major stops in the West, or I guess, at that time, it was the West. It wasn't the Midwest. That'd be cool. That'd be cool. And I'm going to set up my trail cams all over that, that end because I got four of them. So I'm going to set them. I'm not going to buy that many. I'm sorry. I can't afford that many. They're expensive. The trail oh, cams. my God. He has all those, what was it, 40 cameras? Yeah, trail cams. I, I mean, it's just, to me, I like to have four or five, you know, so. And, and that's the best, if anybody out there, our listeners, if you want, that's the best camera to get. Because all you do is set it up, turn it on, and let it go. Because you don't have to manipulate anything. And they're really, really good. Mm. That's that's my tip for paranormal investigating tonight. <laughs> <laughs> You're so I My know. thing is, like, I think until people start noticing literally everything else there is in nature they're they're not going to see things that that aren't common you know people don't notice little mushrooms and ant colonies and and butterflies and stuff you know that are there every single day Mm -hmm. so but yet they're looking for something that's that's pretty rare it's um you know and and that's become it's it's something with humans that we do that because we are so involved in our, our lives and work and everything else that you stop paying attention to the little things. But right. No, for me, real quick, important. real quick, um, recently, and I don't go looking for them, they pop up, or they're like little strawberries that come out of the ground. Have you ever heard of that before? They're little strawberries, little red things. They're, they're, uh, to me, that well, there's like, many different berries. But I mean, this like sucker's grown from the ground. Yeah, it's like a strawberry or something. It looks like one. I won't eat it because I don't know if I'll die. You know what I mean? I wouldn't. Yeah, do I, it. Wouldn't, I wouldn't. Recommend I wouldn't eating. eat it if I were you. Ah, <laughs> uh, you would. miss me if I died. You all be missing. We would miss. We you. would miss you. you. You're still you rare berry, weird berries, bro. <laughs> Unidentified <laughs> berries in the forest. There was like yeah. some movie I watched this weekend. It was really weird. It was about a like a dance. Was a, a designer and his waitress and. She was poisoning him with mushrooms. It's like, what am I watching this oh my, for? Well, it's I, like, hmm. I don't know why I watched I, it. I don't know. It How's Ava doing? Is she getting better? 
No, she's itching like crazy. I don't know what's wrong with her. Is it shedding or her hair? What do you think? Um, I don't I don't know what's going on with her. She's just itching like crazy. I had her on Abiquel and it's just not I don't know what if it's I thought maybe she had frostbite because we went playing in the snow for like oh god, it was so long. Um, I don't know what's going on with her. She's just scratching the hell out of herself. I mean, hair everywhere. I mean, I'll, I'll wake up in the morning and there's hair all over the living room, my bedroom, the hallway. So I don't know what's going on with her. Something, oh, wow. something is not right. That's something not is not right. And how about four? How's four doing, Trish? Um, good. But my animals, you know, like me lately, the, um, I know the, the solar flares being more Maybe that's intense <laughs> than they have been, I think, in documented history affects affects all of us. You know, it affects me when I go out in the sun and stuff. It, my hair starts falling out and I can't. It affects electronics. Um, you know, as a photographer, it, it has fried camera batteries and stuff before. So that's mm. a concern to all of us, obviously. Um, yeah. But a lot of people aren't aware of the dangers of the solar flares, I guess. Yeah, there's a lot of weird stuff happening out there oh i have to tell you something before we go i was talking to my good friend um about my dad and i said i really if i could have five minutes with him just five more minutes with him so i had a dream last night and they say your your loved ones come into the if you dream of your loved ones that that had passed it's probably actual ghost Mm -hmm. so hey. last night i dreamt like that was really weird don't take this the wrong way it was the weirdest thing i i take a lot of epsom salt baths because of my um autoimmune diseases and my flare i'm in a big flare up right now um and i and where i was in a car accident i hurt my leg really bad and there's a gigantic hematoma that's still there that never went away it faded but it takes up most of my leg and it hurts i have nerve damage so bad that um, if I, that's why I do, I'm on carnivore now. I'm trying to get rid of all the sugar and wheat from my body. Anytime I eat sugar or wheat, I go into a big flare up. So I take these Epsom salt baths and my dad and he took baths, but he didn't use Epsom salts, which were just something we had in common. So in my dream last night, I it was so weird. I'm in a, ba a huge bathtub and I'm in the bathtub and I'm feeling really depressed and, and I feel like something, something worrisome is on my mind and I'm really like, I'm so wor wor worried about this. And all of a sudden I see my dad and he comes into the bath. I guess it's like a bathroom, but it wasn't my bathroom. It was really very, 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 ex I don't know, big and beautiful. And he starts taking his clothes off and he goes in the bathtub. I'm like, dad, whoa, wow. bro, dad, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, he doesn't look yeah. at me, but he gets in the water and he, he just sits in the, and he puts his arms back around the edge of the, the bathtub. I said, what are you doing in here? This is just, dad, you're so weird. This is not right. You know, and he, he just looks down, he didn't look at me and he goes, I'm proud of you. Uh, and then cool. I know. And then I, that's it. And then I, I woke up and I was thinking, I go, did I just dream this? Or this is really weird. Did he, did he, I couldn't remember if he said I loved you. So I'm like, did he say he loved me too? I was kidding. So something about, um, revelations, um, uh, I don't know. 
He was trying to give you a, a Bible verse, I guess. I don't know if that resonates for some. I don't know. But then I went back to sleep because I go, I want to, I said, I wonder if he said it. Did he, did he, did I hear him say, I love you? So I was really like, did he say, I love it? I fell back to sleep and I, all of a sudden I see my dad again and he goes, I love you. Ooh. I'm proud of you. And I love you. Oh, and that, yeah. and that's, and I woke up. Yeah, that cool. was such a sweet, yes. I mean, cause in my, in my conversation I was having with my friend, I was so, I go, if I could just have one minute with my dad. Cause she was feeling like overwhelmed with her, you know, family and her father. And I just said, if I could have one more minute with my dad, I would take it in a second. And then I went to bed last night and I had that dream, but it was just so weird because I know the, the, the bath, I don't know. My dad took baths all the time and I take them all the time. It's just something we had in common, I guess. And it was just so weird. I don't know. I just want to share that because I oh, thought that was thank really you. paranormal. Thank you for sharing thank that. You, that, yeah. that made my night. Yeah. That well, was I'm glad. It's definitely a message. They're all Spirits are always there. You And you just have to literally ask like you did. And then yeah. you visited. That was mm -hmm. weird because I have never dreamt like that of a, my dad. It was really, and I always wondered if he was proud of me and he, cause he never really said it you know, especially towards the end of his life, you know, but yeah, I made my, made my day when I woke up, told my mom, I said, <laughs> cry, <laughs> but it was really nice, but Good. I'm excited about next week, uh, show. I'm excited for you with your, uh, ghost adventure. <laughs> so yeah. I really wish you would do a Facebook live. We will do a Facebook live. So we can, me and Trace can make fun of you now. <laughs> we look out for the Ducos. Oh, watch out. Yeah. Watch out for the duck creatures coming back. What I'm going to do real quick before we sign <laughs> off is that I'm going to go down there and I might go live in the afternoon and take some uh, photos or some video of the place that we're going to be at. Because if you look it up online, it's a very, very pretty place. Very yeah, pretty. we should get some pictures and post it. And so we, we're going to, um, that's where you're going wait this saturday that saturday it's it's this saturday uh, coming up it's not the show we're doing is it no, no. you're doing that and when are you doing that that's in september too bad you couldn't get those people on that would be really cool mm. you can try it so i I'm, am hoping to have a rune reader um what's a rune and, and is that like a stone person yeah. yes um uh, he's also, um, you know, a cancer survivor and got a lot of, what is he coming on your show Monday? Um, maybe I haven't decided if it, next week's schedule, as far as if he, well, I don't know if he was available for that. Bring him on our show yeah. and we can do readings. Like yeah. we do. remember that one we did, which Trish, were you there when we did all the readings? Uh, no, she wasn't. Oh, we did one night was, it was like one reading out. We did, people would come on, we'd post a link in the um, chat and they would come on. We were busy the whole night. Yeah, we were. It no, was fun. Yeah. That'd be fun. Yeah. Because I want to talk to him more about his, his cancer story, you know, and surviving that, but yeah, um, he could do readings on. Yeah, we can That's it. On. Oh, real quick. Trish, tell everybody about your new show. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> we did. it. Yeah. So very new. Um, last night was the first episode, the missing piece. It was good. And um, I'm kind of going in a weird, I, I intuitively am drawn to certain people and certain stories and that's who I'm, I'm going to be having on my show. So what's the name of your show? The missing piece. Missing piece. The missing piece. Monday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> 
Central. Yeah. Into the night on Tuesday yeah. nights at 11 Eastern. Yeah. I'm good. You are. You're good. That was a fun show tonight. Yes, well, it was. We're coming to the end of this show. Yep. And thank you all for joining us on Chasing Prophecy, where we discuss anything and everything beyond the scope of normal. We'll see you Nighters. next week. Yeah. Good Thanks. night. I gotta find. I gotta find her. And he said he brought it out. Oh, okay. He moved it. He moved, he moved it. it up for you. We'll have to find it. I'm looking. <laughs> I don't know. I'll I find it. I like the ending too. Yeah, if I can find it. Oh, he's. I don't see it anywhere. Oh, geez. Oh, geez. Where is it? Into the night. Chasing That's prophecy. Mine. I don't see it anywhere. Countdown.